The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strains through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Federal Ammunition, Walton's, Onyx Hunt, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, Grain Belt Premium Beer and by the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association and North Dakota Tourism. My guest today is my son, Weston. Weston and I just spent the past several days camping together on the prairie in North Dakota in hopes of getting him a shot at his first pheasant. Did he bag a bird? Did we learn a few life lessons? Did we wake up to ducks and geese flying over our heads and pheasants cackling in the distance? Stick around. You'll find out. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I am Travis Frank. I am your host, Brandon Morton. As always, is our producer, Brandon, is not recording in person today because I am sitting in my ice castle fish house next to my son, Weston. Weston, welcome to the Flush Podcast, buddy. <laughs> you, you, uh, how you doing today? You feeling energized? You feeling a little tired? I'm kind of feeling tired. From walking like 20 miles. Yeah. I'm amazed at how many miles you put on those little legs of yours. I think, do you remember how many miles we walked out here? We walked like, all together, we walked like 40 miles. 40? Welcome. No. From you and me. Oh, if you're me adding come. us together. Yeah. Yes, but, but you by yourself. Well, I walk like 20. Mm. About. Wow. Yeah, we walked a lot of miles out there. Um, we are done with our hunt right now. We have just returned home, and we are back in Minnesota right now, but we thought we should probably have this conversation in the Ice Castle Fish House because this is where we spent the last week camping together, buddy. We were out on the prairie in North Dakota in search of your first pheasant. Do you want to just say right away, or do you want to let people wait to find out if you got one? You want them to wait? All right. Okay. Weston, how old are you? How old? Nine. Nine years old. And you've been hunting with me now. Do you remember your first hunt together? When me? I was like three. What did we go out hunting for? I think geese. Mm, yeah, we did that. I think your first hunt, though, was actually a turkey hunt. Oh, it was? You don't remember it? Hmm. Oh, wait. Maybe I do. I don't think I'll ever forget it because we snuck out in the dark and we had a blind, and you were so excited. The night before, we made a turkey blind in your bed, in the bedroom. <laughs> and we practiced the calls together, and we hid in there. And then the next morning, we went out and did it. And we, when I made the turkey call sound, what did we hear in the woods and the trees? A gobble. Yeah, a lot of gobbles. And then like five minutes later, you were ready to go in. So we never actually stayed long enough for them to fly out of the trees. But you've already gotten how many turkeys now? 
Three. Three turkeys. You have been an amazing hunter. I have been so proud to watch you hunt the last couple of years, which is why I was so excited to take you with me to one of my very favorite places on earth. Did I tell you about the first time I ever went on a, on a pheasant hunt with my friends? Yeah. Where was it? North Dakota. North Dakota, yes. That is part of the reason why I wanted to bring you out there to experience it. When we were driving out there, what was going through your mind? Did you have any, were you nervous at all? I just felt like this was going to be awesome because I don't have my sisters around <laughs> and we're in the middle of nowhere with no houses, really. Yeah. Yep. How about the birds? Were you excited to try to get a pheasant? Yes. Well, let's review a little bit because we you have had a really, really good hunting season already this year. Um, do you remember which birds that we've hunted and that you've harvested already? This year? Yep. Um, I've harvested a turkey. Yep. Geese. Yep. Ducks. F- pheasants. Grouse. Oh, wait. You just you just gave away the the spoiler alert. You did get a pheasant out in North Dakota. Yes. Okay. But let's start. So you got a turkey. Yep. A goose. Yep. Ducks. Yep. Wood ducks and teal. Yep. Doves. Doves. Um. Woodcock. Woodcock. Yep. How many? Um, you got a couple of woodcock already. Three. Sharp-tailed grouse. Mm, two. Two. And a single rough grouse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the pheasant was kind of like the last one on the list, wasn't it? And we saved it to be a special one. And for anybody listening right now, I, I will say that this one, I have, I've kind of uh, have mixed emotions about this because... We brought our cameraman along to capture this first pheasant hunt for Weston and I. Um, And it's a very personal thing because, you know, our hunting has been something that I've just cherished. Weston and I spending this time together and my my other kids too. Um, Weston is the first one that's been ready to pull the trigger. And, you know, so we've had some amazing memories and that's a very personal thing and being able to bring a camera along to share it, it it does change a little bit of the dynamic as a father to be out there and also a television producer at the same time. So, Wesson, um, I know it's just you and I here, and actually mom just snuck in, and now she's listening to our conversation here in the fish house with us. Um, but I, I was nervous too, as your dad out there, buddy, because I wanted this to be something really, really special for you and for for me to be able to have forever. Because you only get to hunt pheasants one for the first time, one time. You know, every time after that, it's 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 never the first time. Um, but I think I just I struggled with being a, being there with you, buddy, and trying to be very helpful with you and for you, but also to be able to do my job and to put all these things together um, to film the television side of it too, which I hope 
um, will turn out to be something that inspires people to do what you and I just did, Weston. That's why I wanted to share it and to show it and to show people that you can do this. But we learned a lot. Yeah. We learned a lot. I'm going to start with a few things that I learned because you and I were planning on going to South Dakota. That was our original plan. And I had done a lot of research on where we were going to go and we wanted to camp because I knew there's something special about being out on the prairie and staying and camping out there. And we are in an ice castle fish house. It's not a tent. It is a very nice place to camp. We have beds, we have a stove, we have power if we need it. We have a generator that we bring. Um, and we obviously need the power to charge our camera batteries and stuff. But the fact is that we wanted, I wanted to be at a place where you and I could watch the sunset and cook the birds that we just got together out in the place that we got them. And when we wake up, we could go hunt again without having to get in our vehicle and drive anywhere. Cause to me, that is so, so cool. Um, but in the process of trying to figure out where to go in South Dakota, I've ended up landing on, uh, talking to a private landowner that gave us permission to camp at his place um, because there are a lot of different camping laws on where you can camp. And then, of course, you know, certain campsites aren't in pheasant habitat. So me as a dad trying to find the perfect place was a challenge. Um, but like three days, two or three days before we were getting ready to go, Weston, I called the state of South Dakota Game Fish and Parks and I asked them because I wanted to make sure we did everything correctly on the uh, youth hunting laws out there because every state is a little bit different. And in South Dakota, I could not hunt with you. I had to walk right next to you. Uh, it, I don't know if it was exactly within arm's reach, but it was. I had to be really close to you. But you could be the shooter. I could not carry a gun in the field with you. And to me, I didn't want to um, put that kind of pressure on you, buddy, <laughs> because there would have been a cameraman following you and everything would have been all about you, which some people might say that's fine and dandy, but you and I have had some great hunting memories together, right? You and I like to hunt together and that's what I grew up doing too. And I didn't want to put that kind of pressure on you to have to make the shot. I wanted us to be able to do it together because that's important. When I hunt with everybody else, we do it together. And when somebody gets a bird, we celebrate together. And so um, we made the decision to go to North Dakota because when I called the state of North Dakota, uh, their, their laws are written like a lot of the other states in the country where you and I can hunt together. So how it basically works, if you want to bring a child under the age of uh, well, you'll have to call and do, do your own research here. But essentially what I learned was, I think it's either 12 or, or younger. Uh, they just, they, there's like a habitat fee, $21. Um, and then if you want to have your kids hunt waterfowl with you, they have to do the hip certification that we all have to take when we buy our waterfowl licenses. Um, but a kid's license essentially costs $21 in North Dakota. Um, they are then allowed to harvest their own birds under their own license, under that the general habitat uh, license, and um, they get to hunt with you. So to me, that seemed like the, the best way to go because you and I like to hunt together, right, bud? Um, 
And so we got out out on the prairie. And then I also learned a few other things about camping. Now in North Dakota, just like in a lot of other states, you have to do your research on where you can legally camp. You can't just pull up and camp anywhere. You know, we had this fish house behind us here and um, there are certain uh, WMAs, certain federal properties, state properties. Uh, You just have to check with each individual property to find out which ones you can camp on, which days of the week you can camp on it. Uh, there's different parts of the state, you know, because of the oil boom years ago in North Dakota. There were a lot of workers that hauled their own campers out. And basically they um, they squatted on these, on these uh, state properties. And the laws were written that every 10 days you could camp for 10 days. But if you were there for more than 10 days, uh, you overstayed your welcome. Well, a lot of the uh, managers out there found it hard to know when somebody arrived and when they didn't. So they decided to say there are certain days of the week you can't camp here. So that means if you're there on, let's say, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday or whatever that campground or that public property had laws for, those were not days that you could camp. So I learned quite a bit that way. I also learned, Weston, how hard is it to find a, a landowner, a farmer, a rancher in North Dakota right now? Really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Out of like 10, out of 10, if you knock on 10 people's doors, then only like two of them won't answer. Yeah, maybe it was just the ones that we were trying to find, but boy, did we have a hard time with it. Now, I would, I'm saying this because if you decide to do something awesome, like go camping with your buddies or with your kids and on a bird hunt like this, I would suggest you start planning a lot earlier than we did. We started two days before we left. That's when I started planning. And I narrowed down a couple of these landowners that I thought were in a perfect area next to a lot of public ground that we could hunt. Um, and I was hoping to be able to just camp on the edge of their field um, and then hunt the, the public grounds. But getting a hold of them was almost impossible. But we stuck with it. We persevered, right? And we found a place that we decided we're going to camp. And we did it correctly. We talked to the the local game fish and parks and the wardens and we got approval. Yep. It's okay. It's legal. Yep. You're good. All right, good. Then we get there in the dark. What was it like when we pulled up to that spot? Do you remember? Um, we get out there. The second we step out, all we hear is honking. Yeah. And we're like, there, there must be geese all over the, all over the lake. Yeah. And, so then we're all listening to them, and we take some pictures of the stars, mm-hmm. and then we get into the fish house. Have you ever seen stars that bright in your entire life? No. That's the cool thing about being out there on the prairie like that, where there's no other homes around, no other lights, and the stars light up the sky. It's amazing. And I don't know, was there like two or three geese out there or thousands? Thousands. <laughs> yeah, isn't that so cool? Yeah. Yeah, when we're driving out there, they, the whole uh, sky would lift up in a couple of those flocks in the fields that were feeding out there and the mm-hmm. snow geese. We don't have snow geese here, do no. we? No. And so that's one thing that I've encouraged people to do over the last couple of years is even if you don't bring your kids to hunt, bring them to experience the migration. Because there's a reason planet Earth is one of the most popular TV documentaries ever made is it's the wild world is an amazing place. And to see it in person, what was that like, Weston? The migration. It was crazy. You saw every mile, you would see like 3,000 geese. Yeah. 
And it's so powerful when you're standing underneath it and they're flying over the top. I remember there's a few things that I'll always remember from this trip, but a couple of them. One thing was every time the geese would fly, you stopped walking and looked up and watched them. Yeah. One, I knew you wanted to try to get a shot, but two, there's just a lot of them, isn't there? It's hard not to watch. Every time they get up, it's just like the same thing. Like some people, when you see, when they see it like five times, then they get bored of it and they stop watching. Not with me. Yeah. Every every time I even saw a goose, I would I would stop what I was doing and watch. Yeah. <laughs> even, even if we just shot a, even if um we Daisy just bring the pheasant to me mm-hmm. and I got it, I would still stop and look. Yeah. Because it was that it was just that crazy. It's so beautiful out there. It's so cool. And the thing about the sunsets out there, my goodness. I know. Aren't they ugly? They're awesome. <laughs> they are awesome. Yes, it's the big sky sunset. Yep, Montana's the same way, but I don't know that I've met a sunset in North Dakota that hasn't been beautiful. If you're looking for an awesome bird hunting adventure, then now is a great time to head to the state of North Dakota. Why? Well, this year, the state of North Dakota has reported that pheasant counts are up 61% from last year. The sharp-tailed grouse numbers are up. And get this, the Hungarian partridge numbers have tied an all-time high that comes in at 200% above last year. I've already hunted in North Dakota this season, and I've seen these bird numbers for myself. Water levels are also up, which means the total number of wetlands are up, 76% above the long-term average. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of these numbers mean that there are more ducks, more geese, pheasants, sharpies, and Hungarian partridge on the landscape. In North Dakota, you can experience an epic waterfowl hunter in the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt of your life all in the same day. I know this because I've done it myself. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs. From ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps 
Apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public. The landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Were you nervous about the pheasant hunt when we got out there? Well, I just thought that, like, once they got up, then I would think they were a hen because mm-hmm. I didn't, I wouldn't know the difference. And it ended up being the opposite. The second, the first one got up, and you said they're big, the roosters are big, and they have a long tail and they're dark. Yep. The hens are small, and they have a short tail and they're light. And when it got up, the second it got up, I was like, that's a rooster. Did it? I don't remember. Did the first one cackle? No. No. But I remember we're walking and um, all of a sudden Daisy goes on point and she was like, how far away? Do you remember? Like 200 yards. Yeah. She was a long ways away. And we get up there and it was in a tree line and my heart was pounding out of my chest. I know. Like mine I was, was too. I was so, I was thinking yours <laughs> probably pounding too. If mine was, I thought yours was. Yes. Yep. And you were on the left, and I was on the right. And which way did it get up? Left. On the left. And it gets up, and I take two shots, and I miss both of them. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just wasn't expecting it because they get up, and it's just like... Yeah. And it's like... <gasps> well, you've grouse hunted before. You've hunted in the woods for woodcock before. It's, so why didn't you know what to expect? I don't know. I just didn't expect that they would that the rooster would be that big. Yeah. That's why they're the most popular bird to hunt for upland birds in the first rooster. Mm-hmm. It, it gave me a heart attack and mm-hmm. then the hens, every time it was a hen, they're heart attack hens. Yep. Heart attack hen or hen attack, right? Heart attack hens or hen attack and then the roosters are running are the runner roosters. They run. My goodness. That's the one thing about a pheasant that makes it really challenging is how much they run. So remember, we talked about this before we started hunting. What are the pheasant's main escape routes? What do they do to get run. away? They what? They run. And, and then once they get into like a small tree line, then they disappear. <laughs> or, or they stop, right? They find an area that Maybe they can't run any further and they'll find a clump of grass and they bury right down inside of that grass. And then what's their last line of defense to get away from us? Fly, 30 miles an hour. Yeah, they fly <laughs> and they fly fast. Do you remember the first one that we we got? Yes. What was that like for you? I don't know. It just got up and I took a shot and you shot at the same time mm-hmm. and it dropped and my heart was pounding so hard. And once I saw it drop, I, like, was my, uh, all of a sudden, I just freeze. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yes. And Daisy, she just did such a good job at finding all those birds. We didn't yeah. have a single one get away that, that we shot, did, did we? She has become an amazing hunting dog. Where does Daisy sleep at night when we're at home? On our bed. In your bed. Yep. You and your brother Cash. Um, is it kind of cool knowing, you know, like, here's your your 
buddy at home, and then when she gets out there in the field, she just turns it on. Yes, she's like, she's slow. Then once she smells it, she goes um, full speed. Mm-hmm. And once uh-huh. she finds it, it's just, just like sometimes she's going full speed. Then she stops immediately. And it seems like, how does she not like stop and then fall? Do you wonder like how a dog knows that the pheasant is there? I don't know, cause the pheasants probably smell bad, cause they haven't, cause they never take showers. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe they stink. Some some people tell me that pheasants and grouse and partridge smell sweet to a dog. It'd be like, um, you know, like a candle burning that you walk by it downwind, and you can smell it, and you know instantly where it is. But that candle is all of a sudden moving running through the field (laughs) so then you got to try to figure out how to make it stop running so that's what she's trying to do at the same time so it's been pretty cool to watch her learn how to hunt but it's been just as cool to watch you learn how to hunt buddy because you have become a master at it and i'm so proud of you and that's why i knew you were ready for this trip because do you remember when we started you and i going out and practicing with your bb gun um, when I was like five. Yep. Yep. And then what did we go from after the BB gun? What was next? Shotgun. No, I think we did oh, a tw- 22, right? I think, yeah. Or no, first, the first gun I feel like I ever shot, maybe it was, maybe a Nerf gun. Nerf gun. <laughs> yep. Yep. Then BB gun. And we worked our way up. And the first time you pulled the trigger on the shotgun, it was a lot louder, wasn't it? Yep. Did it ever scare you? Well, like use the first time I sh- it shot, I blinked because I I wasn't really expecting it to be that loud. Mm-hmm. But now that you know what to expect, it's not really yeah doesn't seem to phase you one bit, does it? Yeah, the first time I took the shot, my elbow kind or like my shoulder hurt from the kickback, and now it just feels like I'm shooting a very high-powered baby gun. Mm-hmm. Yep, we've got um, some different hearing protection that we use. The um, uh, the Walker's Game Ear is a good one for kids. That's what we've learned. We've tried like five or six different kinds, haven't we? So mm-hmm. those ones allow you to hear when I'm talking to you, right? Yeah, like you can hear talking, and then once it hears a loud noise, like even when I would just like, if someone would cough, Mm-hmm then it would be like, then it, you wouldn't be able to hear. And like with a shotgun, it shoots, and then the thing, and then the headphones hear it, mm-hmm. and then they stop listening. It cuts out that loud noise. Yeah. Yep. So you can barely even hear the shotgun go off, can you? I, I don't. I just, I went even just aiming it at a bird, mm-hmm. I don't even hear it. Well, I didn't have that when I was your age. You know what I didn't have? I just, I didn't have that kind of hearing protection. And now I can't hear. It's terrible, buddy. It's terrible. So I'm so glad that we can give you that when you and your brother and sister come out there and our friends too now, because Mm -hmm. um, you guys are protecting your hearing and you can hear. And it's amazing to me because even when you have the ones that don't have the volume turned up, like you can hear the turkeys gobbling with your hearing protection on. And I, can't hear them without it like that's how bad my hearing is but then when they're like 15 feet away from you yeah it just keeps echoing in your mind like after it's like 
they keep if they're like ten feet away from you, behind you, mm -hmm. and you can't get a shot off, and you're waiting for them to come up in front. Like that happened to us once. Yeah. And they couldn't. They didn't even wanna. They couldn't cross a fence that was like two feet high, or that was like five inches high, like half a foot high. Yeah. They didn't want to cross it, but they knew that our decoy was out there, and a small. Oh, we're talking about the turkeys here. Yeah. 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 Okay. They just like, um, when they're so close to you, it just echoes in your mind later that day. Yeah, like you can hear it just. Yeah. You know what else I can hear? What? The bell that Daisy wears when we go grouse hunting. Like I can lay in bed at night and I still hear the. Ding, 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 yeah. Ding, ding. Like I just I love that sound running through the woods. So now that you've hunted pheasants and now you've hunted grouse and woodcock, and sharp-tailed grouse, uh, I'm sorry, rough grouse, sharp-tailed grouse. Yeah. Pheasants and woodcock. Of those birds, which one do you like hunting the most? Hmm. I mean, if it's if we're talking about which one's the easiest to get to, um, I don't think any of them are easy to get to. Because yeah. it's always just like for the pheasants and rough grouse, they're hot. They stay in the field where it's like the grass. It's so tall, and it so then it like curves down, mm -hmm. and then you almost get like tripped on it. And for the grouse or for the rough grouse and woodcock, you are, you get you get tripped by the sticks. Mm -hmm. So none of them are easy. Perfect, right? Yeah. Do you think you'd have as much fun going after them if it was easy? No. No. So because they're all hard to get. You don't have to pick a favorite. No. Like, I, I don't know that I, well, maybe I would pick a favorite. I, I really <laughs> like rough grouse a lot. But I also really like Hungarian partridge, which we'll get to in a minute because we got to hunt for some of those this week, too. Yes. And sharp-tailed grouse. I don't know, buddy. I The thing is, like, they're all different in their mm -hmm. own ways, and that's what makes it really cool. Yeah. So here's something else that I uh, planned without telling you. Now, pheasants love cattails. Yeah. They really hunker down in cattails. There are certain parts of Minnesota and South Dakota and North Dakota that have cattails that are two times taller than me. That means they're probably three times taller than you. And it's not that fun to be able to try to wrestle through it to get them out when it's just two of us. So when we made the decision to go to where we did, I was looking at places that I knew had grass but not as much cattails because I wanted to be able to walk without uh, and be able to see Daisy yeah. to hunt out there. But I knew that um, your legs aren't as tall or long as mine and mine aren't that long anyway. But um, I wanted us to be able to go somewhere that we could see and walk. And um, so that's why I chose uh, North Dakota as well. But I also, we, we learned a couple of really cool things. Um, Mm -hmm. The first day we were walking what I thought was the best stuff. There was beautiful golden grass. There was a couple of tree lines. And we did see the first pheasant yeah, right? the, in the trees that you got a shot at. But it was just one. What happened when we found a bunch of them? Where were they? In the spot that you would think that you would hunt there a year and only see like two. Well, I was thinking that's where I'd go duck hunting. Yeah. It and, was the weirdest thing. I and, I and this was a very important lesson for me 
and for anybody else that pheasant hunts to listen to right now. Yeah, there's only, like, in the spot that you would think there would be ducks, we only, like, we only, there was only three ducks that we spooked up. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was, like, ten pheasants. Yeah. In there. They were getting out of standing water. Mm-hmm. And grass that was clumped over on the edge of the water. And gray. And gray, yep. They were, so we were, there was um, this big flooded area with a lot of grass. I'm trying to paint a picture here for everybody that was that's listening right now, Weston, that wasn't there. So it's a lot of water. And this, you'll find this all over pheasant country. Uh, a lot of times you'll find cattails, but it's not always cattails. Is what we found was that they were in this uh it's almost like a shoreland like a shorebird type of uh place i would never have expected to see pheasants in a lot of the cover it wasn't very thick at all um but they we we cut open the crop do you remember yeah and there was like worms they were eating worms all the pheasants were piled into the shoreline and they were eating worms yeah not grain not corn, not wheat, not all the other things that I would have expected them to be eating in the middle of November, but they were digging worms out of the sand and the water. And there were a lot of pheasants in those areas. When the first pheasant got up down there, I think 10 went with it. (laughs) Remember that? And we're like, what are they doing there? Did we chase them down there? Nope. That ended up being the pattern that worked really well for us was to stay very close to the water. Mm-hmm. All the willows, the grass, the trees that I would have, I remember I kept telling you, I'm like, buddy, let's go towards these willows because I think that's where they're going to be. And Daisy kept going down by the water. And, and she kept going on point. And we were like, why are the pheasants down here? Why are they in the water? Yes. She had water, you know, up to her belly. And, and she's on point. And she's on point. Yes. So lesson learned there. Um, I will definitely remember that the next time that I go to an area that has water, the the cover was not thick. It's not thick enough for them to roost, but clearly they were comfortable standing in it yeah. and grabbing those those little worms out of there because the crops, they didn't have anything else in it. All they had was the worms. Very interesting. Now that's going to freeze in a few days. So that yeah. pattern is going to be different. Uh-huh. which is part of the thing that pheasant hunters always have to do. And this is what we learned too, right? Because you and I went out there and we had never seen that place before. Where you no. and I hunted, I have never been before. And it's public land. That means anybody that has a hunting license in the state of North Dakota can go out there and they can hunt where we hunted too. And that's a really cool thing. How many other pheasant hunters did we see this week? Two, I think. Because we saw two. The two people, the only two groups that we saw, two, only two of them, we only saw two or three people. They were driving with an orange hat, weren't they? Yeah. Did they get out and walk in the grass? No. I think they were deer hunters. Yes. Yes, <laughs> because the deer hunting season is open in North Dakota, too. And I was really surprised because we hunted for uh, three days, and we never saw another pheasant hunter, and we hunted land that's open to everybody to hunt. So that's the kind of... One thing that really stood out to me, and I've been hearing a lot about people talking about this all hunting season, that there's a lot of birds and there are a lot of people, and um, but I didn't see it. I didn't see the people. I saw the birds. 
And that was uh, very interesting because I feel like early season, you get a lot of people every year that they're like, there's too many people. There's too many people. But when we're out there hunting for that many days, you think we would have seen somebody else out yeah, there, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, all where the people were looking, where the two cars were, we never, we hunted there, and there was no sign of really any deer there. And the spot that we went to, two, like, five or, five or six other spots, mm-hmm. and we saw, in just two days, we saw three bucks and a doe. Mm-hmm. At the spot that they weren't looking. Well, they were driving, looking to see if the deer were out, and we could see them. Remember, standing out in the fields. Well, that was when we were driving back. Yeah, when we we're driving, that's why they were driving too. Sometimes hunters will drive around to see because it's wide open, like where we deer hunt. You and I, there's a lot of trees. Yeah. So driving around doesn't do you very much good, but when you're in an area that doesn't have any trees and there's a deer that's standing up in the grass, you can see it from a long ways away. So sometimes people will drive around a little bit and they'll be like, well, I can see a deer. They can look with their binoculars all the way across the field. And that's actually not a bad way to look for pheasants too. Because one thing that we saw when we drove around was... We saw some massive pheasants. (laughs) The biggest pheasant we saw was in the car. Yes, right out the window. And like the fifth biggest pheasant we saw, Mm -hmm. we shot. You think so? Yeah. Out of how many birds? How many do you think we saw this week? Like 30 pheasants 30? At, at least. Or at in one day we would see like 30 pheasants. Um, Almost. I would guess. So I think the first day we saw about 150. Yeah. Maybe 200. And the second day mm-hmm. we saw like at least 200. Yep. And in just like a half an hour of hunting, we would see like 30 or 40 birds. Mm-hmm. And then when we drove around, we'd see them like crazy. Yeah. Was- Which is really fun to see, right? I'm glad we got out and drove around. So um, we put on a lot of miles. Weston, yes. you did amazing. Your little legs walked over 10 miles the first day. 10 miles. Some people will send me emails and say, hey, I hear you talking about all these birds. I've been out here hunting and we've already walked two miles without any luck. What would you tell them, Weston? Walk farther. <laughs> Walk farther. Yes, that's right. You did it. If you can do it with nine-year-old legs, they can do it too. Sometimes yeah. you have to go a little bit further. I walked like two miles. I walk. I would walk like five or four miles. Mm-hmm. My legs would slowly to get tired. At like three miles, I would feel them. Hold this steady, buddy, so we don't lose your connection. I would just start to hear them yeah. or to feel them get like sore. Your legs? Yeah. And yep. then after like five miles, then I would feel them kind of wearing down. Yeah. Well, we did. We did. The first walk was maybe like three miles. Yeah. The second walk was maybe like a mile and a half. Then the third walk, the first day, took us a lot further than we wanted because we didn't follow our game plan. No. And that was another lesson that we learned There's too. There's a ton of birds. Like we would say, we're going to go this way. She goes on point the opposite way. Yeah. And so then she kept going on point farther and farther away from the game plan. Mm -hmm. But the problem is every time she'd go on point, the rooster would run another 200 yards and another 200 yards and another 200 yards. And then she would finally get it to a spot where it would flush, maybe. But sometimes we wouldn't be there in time. And then all of a sudden, before we know it, we're a half mile away from where we planned on going. So we learned a little bit there because 
one thing that we didn't do right was we didn't play the wind. Remember what I told you about the smell of the candle that you can smell when you're downwind? Well, Daisy has to have the scent of the bird. She has to be able to work into the wind so she can smell it. Every time she was hunting into the wind, she, she, was, find them. she was close and she would find them. And also, this is something too that a lot of pheasant hunters may know or they may not know, but when it is calm, pheasants seem to be more willing to hunker down and they know where you're at, so they will let you walk past them. So when it's calm, Daisy does a really good job of pinning them down tight and they're right off of her snout when she's staring yeah. into the grass. Like even when our camera, the cameraman... Scott, yeah. he, even when he was he was just standing, yep. and he had been standing there for like 30 seconds, and all of a sudden a hen gets up. Yep. And another hen. Yep. And they're, and they're half a foot from his feet, and he can feel the vibration of them getting up. Yeah. And what did that teach you? Sometimes that, sometimes pheasants. Here, hold on to this for a second. Hold it right here. So, that sometimes pheasants... Um, just like they stay put mm -hmm. for a while mm -hmm. until they feel like you're going to step on them. Yep. And then they get scared and all worked up and then they fly. Yeah. Sometimes they'll stay there for, I've seen them stay there for a couple of minutes. And I, I have learned over and over that I walk too fast and I walk right by the birds. And then when I come by, I'm like, then I go like slower since my legs are smaller and since... Um, I'm, my legs are smaller. You, mm -hmm. I've, you have to slow down for me and we don't flush them as much. No, I think we actually flushed more because I would have walked right past them. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I think that you and I make a really good team because I think a lot of pheasant hunters walk way too fast. And then they walk right past them. Mm -hmm. Then the pheasants run and mm -hmm. then they get up. We took breaks. And sometimes when we were sitting there kneeling down, taking breaks, Pheasants would get up right next to us after we were sitting there talking for like a minute. Yeah. If that just told, has to tell you how many times we walked right past birds that didn't get up. Because remember, first they like to run. Second, they'll hold tight. The last resort is to flush and they flush if they get nervous. And that usually means Daisy's staring at the grass. Yeah. And we walk in and we start kicking it. And you sometimes get a hen attack and sometimes you get a rooster attack. We had some rooster attacks where... A yes. lot. They were all roosters that got up. Yeah, and, and we we're like, oh, there goes one. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and then two drop. Yes, you got one. I got one. And boy, did we celebrate that. Yes. That was, I think, so on every hunting trip that I go on, there's always um, a couple of things that stand out to me that I, when I look back and remember, like, what are my fondest memories of the trip? The second morning when all the roosters got up and you got that one was, and I got one. That was amazing. Yeah, that was definitely my highlight. Your, that was yours? That was one of, that was like, mm -hmm. my one, my best highlight was that. My second best was the geese. The geese? Was all the geese. All the geese. You're just fascinated by them. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Well, um, how about the sharp-tailed grouse? That was just weird. Like you would think, because when Daisy went on point, we were like, it's, oh, it's just probably Huns. Hungarian partridge. Yeah. Because we had uh, flushed a covey that went over into this big draw. And um, we just, 
were hoping to get close to them. So we were working this entire drop. And we never saw them. No, where did they go? I don't know. They got holes in the ground or something? They disappeared? I mean, there was holes where we were. Yeah, but those are badger holes. I think the I think the Huns maybe flew to a different draw. They went that way, but then they turned. And so we were hunting a different area, but that's the power of a good dog. So Daisy is running out in the middle of a cut stubble wheat field. And, and, she's, and her tail is, I'm like, buddy, I think she smells them out here. And she worked them and she worked them and she worked them. Yeah, like even when we were like, they, I think they were in this, I think they were in the ditch yeah. where we were hunting. Mm-hmm. And then Daisy, like when she would go on point, then they would run like 300 yards. Yeah. Then they would like stop and then she would get close to them and then they would run again. And finally the last time they just got like tired maybe. And um, then they sat there and the one, f- the two flushed up. And we sh- we got the one. Yep. It it flew like two hundred yards, then dropped. Had a heart attack. Uh huh. And then yep. the and then the there was a third one. After the two get up, a second later we see another one get up. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about sharp-tailed grouse. They get up together like that, and every once in a while there'll be one that'll hang back. Uh-huh. And I did not expect that, but no. what a cool bonus! And that's yeah. one of the things that I really like about <laughs> going out to that place where we were hunting is because. We in the same day we got pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24-pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system in all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. 
Plus, our toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full-circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Now, explain, you had never seen an explosion of Hungarian partridge. What is that like? Because you were in the middle of it. You're the one that caused the explosion. That's uh-huh. what was so cool. I don't know if there was 20 of them, but there was know. a lot. Like the when the first one got up, I saw it and then it flew. And then it flew away. Mm-hmm. And then the other one. And then all of a sudden we see we hear an exp- like That's a I'd, really good yeah, that you nailed it on that. That's I'd, exactly what it sounded then like. Then like ten of or fifteen get up. Yep. And they all go up. And then you, sh- we both shot, and I'm pretty sure I missed because well, I was aiming at a different one. Yep. And then yours drops, and we're like, "That was crazy." That was crazy. Yeah. And then Daisy brings that one back, and then all of a sudden we're kneeling down. We're kneeling down, and here comes, <laughs> and there goes a rooster flying by. And remember the rooster that came by after the fact that we were Daisy was. She was looking for the next bird already, and they were birds flying around us, but yeah, we were trying like, to enjoy that moment. But that rooster came right over our heads, and we did not even have our guns in our hand. Yeah, it's okay. And did we find that rooster that landed in the tree right next to us? No. No. That's the thing about roosters. All, it, it, it only took it five minutes for it to disappear, and we never saw it again. It was 15 seconds. Well, we it, maybe it felt like five minutes too, but it was. No, we we were sitting there and we kept just waiting. We were sitting, we were sitting there for a while. Then finally, we get up, and by the time we get over there, it's been like almost five minutes. Mm. Well, they run fast. I yes. think that's the moral of the story. They probably, and they hide. They Is probably it- run like thirty miles an hour. Mm. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that I think was important for us to do, and I'm glad that we did it, was. We, we really celebrated each victory because yeah. there were a lot of birds that got away, right? We shot, <laughs> you, you got to shoot at quite a few. Yes, and I shot at like 10 and only, I shot at like 12 birds and I only got six of them. That many? Yeah, six. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we celebrated every single one of them. And mm-hmm. we got pictures with a bunch of them too yeah. because I think we're going to print some of them out. Mm-hmm. Well, and I tell you this right now, I'm going to look at them and my heart's just going to be smiling every single time I look at them. Yes. And there were a lot that got away and that does not matter. No. Because the ones we got are amazing. All, all that matters is that we have fun and that we get and all that we have fun and that we take safe shots. Yeah. And that when we get them, then we celebrate a lot. And that's what we did. Yep. And we had an awesome time. Yeah. And we ate them. Yes. So you, we cleaned them together, and we cooked them together too. And we made them a couple different ways. We, um, do you have a favorite recipe that we did out there? I think when you did the wrap, the bacon wrap, yeah, with the cream cheese inside, that was my favorite. Yeah, that's a go-to for me. That's one of my absolute favorites. We also did where we did like a coating of uh, like a breading on it, and we just pan fried it. But I didn't do it the way I really wished I would have. I did it on, uh, I should have done it in a pan where we could have had some butter in there and gold and brown. Instead, <laughs> I kind of burnt them a little bit, which made the sear kind of good too. But I think they're the best tasting pheasants and grouse that I've ever eaten. Because when you're out there after walking that many miles and the sun is setting and you get to watch it over the prairie and it's just 
there's something really special about it. The geese are honking as they're flying by and it's a fresh bird that you just got. Like they don't taste, they, they will not get better than at that exact spot right there. I mean, only, only if like you shoot them mm-hmm. like right by your camp, then you cook them immediately, then maybe. Yeah. But I still think those were the best pheasants I've ever tasted. Yeah. Cause we, sh- we cooked them. The day that we ate them. Mm-hmm. So I learned a few things. Oh, wait. We shot them, and then we ate them the same day. Yep. Yep. Um, so I learned a, a, a couple things here that I think I want to touch on for people listening here that I I think it's important. If you have kids or you know kids that would enjoy this kind of an experience, that you bring them, right, Weston? Yeah. Yeah. Um it's going to change the hunt a little bit because Weston just said that we slowed things down a little bit. That can be a blessing, right? Yeah. Because we ended up flushing a lot of birds. We really ended close. up getting more going yeah. slower. Yep. Yep. Definitely. I also learned too. So this is one of the struggles that I pointed out at the beginning of the show. As a TV producer, I have responsibilities um, to the the companies that support us. Benelli shotguns. I shoot a Benelli shotgun, and Weston. You love shooting the Benelli shotgun as well, right? Mm-hmm. The over-under because you get two shots. Yeah. Yeah. The other shotgun that you've practiced for the last couple of years with that you're really, really good at shooting, um, it takes you a little bit more time to eject a shell. Yeah. And so you were worried that you wouldn't be able to get a second shot off, right? But that actually might have been the better way to go Yeah. on some of them because it didn't have like... Because um, the last day, the only, I shot once, and that one shot, I nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, with that gun, you nailed it. Um, you you also hit some with the other one, but you definitely took more shots, and it was a little bit different. I could see a couple times where you weren't as comfortable with it, and that's where that's a lesson for me as your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I, I know you love that, the Benelli, and you've shot it before. But it's not the one that you're as comfortable with. And when you've shot that one, um, you've de- you've usually had like a T-shirt or a, a light shirt. Well, here we had jackets and you had other clothes out there. And it was a little bit, the stock is a little bit longer than your youth model um, 870 pump yeah. that we've and practiced that one on. I've, I'm used to because when, when I would go like turkey hunting or mm-hmm. grouse hunting, it would it would be chillier, so you would have to wear like a coat. Yep. And it's not just and for that one, it was like the it was the first time that I ever shot it with like coats and vests yep. on. Yep. So this is where my lesson is to anybody that's going to be bringing a, a young kid out. They what they practice with is what they should hunt with, right? Because when yeah. we made the switch, you just felt a lot more comfortable with it. I should have made the switch right away. Uh-huh. And hey, you know what? I'm learning how to do this too, just like you are. So yeah. we're both learning a lot of this stuff together. I know what works for me, but I'm learning what works for you as well. Um, the layers, you know, plan on, I put your clothes in my vest multiple times, right? I brought a lot of extra layers for you. Um, we had to take a lot of breaks, but it wasn't that we had to, it's that we got to. Because then when we did, we got to look for things like rocks and skip rocks. And um, we got to watch all the other birds in the uh-huh. sky and talk about the 
the grass and the land out there in places where the birds are hiding and figure out uh, game plans together um, and really celebrate each one of those victories. So um, I think camping is definitely the way to go if you have the opportunity to camp and you're able to go out there during the time of the season where um, we had this Indian summer this past week, they call it Weston. And that's when you get a warm up in the fall, late in the fall, and it feels a lot warmer. Because generally in the middle of November in North Dakota, it can be really cold. Yeah. That water that we were hunting next to can be completely frozen. And uh, it could be blowing wind and snow drifts. And we had it just like 60 degrees and only like the... And only like two miles an hour of wind. Yeah, sometimes, it was just perfect. Sometimes even we had no wind. Yep. So it was about 30 or 32 degrees in the morning, and it got up to almost 50 one day, and then it got up to 56 or 57 another day, and then the next day it got up to like 45, something like that. That's perfect kind of weather to go out there and experience something like this. So um, do you think you would maybe want to go do something like that again? Yes. Yeah. I w- if if I could, I would do it once every month. What would what could I have done differently that would have made it a little bit easier for you or better for you? Mm, I don't know. Maybe instead of me saying that I wanted to use the double barrel gun because I just wanted to use it. Yeah. Because I knew that I wasn't the greatest at pump unpumping it mm-hmm. quick enough. Yeah. On the other one, so I wanted to use that one. Because I knew that I could get better shots off of it. So I knew. So if I couldn't, if I missed a lot of shots with it, mm-hmm. then I should have told you that I wanted to use the other one. Okay. Well, that's something we just talked about. How about for some of the other birds that we've hunted now for the last year together? Are there any. Um, birds that you're really excited about to go back and try to hunt for again or that you like to eat the most? I think I like I like turkey a lot because we get to make turkey jerky out of it mm-hmm. and the turkey jerky is super good because yep. it's homemade. Yep. But I also like the pheasants because we get to make the pheasant wraps. Yep. Or I also like the other birds. Do you like the pheasant wraps, my pheasant wraps, better than mom's pheasant pot pie? Be honest. You can say that you like her pot pie better. Next question. <laughs> That's a very good answer, buddy. Um, okay, so what what uh, what's next for you? What's on your list? Um, I wanna. Let me think. I kind of want to hunt. I I want to get a partridge. Yeah. For sure. Um, I also want to hunt. Um, let's see. I want to hunt. I want to get. Um. Let me think. Um. I, w- I want to hunt snow goose. Snow geese. Mm-hmm. Um. I w- I want to hunt crane. Ooh, ribeye of the sky, delicious. Yep. And I wanna. Um. For. I think that's it for birds, maybe. Okay. Well, I- we'll get into some other birds that live in the mountains because there's some others out there. But Hungarian partridge, we got to see 
a couple of them. We, I got a couple. You got to stand inside the explosion of partridge, so now you know why they're one of my favorite birds because they're so amazing to um, watch that eruption and try to pick one out of there. Yeah. We, we got to bring some home. We're going to make some cool art projects with them. We've got a whole bag of tail feathers from partridge to pheasants. Uh, do you know what you're going to do with them yet? Um, I think I'm going to take my the I'm going to take the first one. I I'm going to take I'm just going to pick a random one out. Okay. And I want to do like a mount where we spread the tail fan out. Yep. Then I want to mount it in my room. Yep. Totally. I think well, we've got your grouse fan dried already. See it right behind you there. I want to do I I want to um, mount my first. I, w- I want to mount the grouse mm-hmm. and may the and the um pheasant tail. F- I want to mount one pheasant and the grouse tail fan up. Okay, and who do you want to bring out next time we go? I don't know. Maybe some friends, or maybe our cousin Kingston. Um, maybe your cousin. Yep. When you talk about uh, going hunting with your buddies at on the hockey team, what do they say? They say, like, good luck, and I hope you get one. Yeah. Do they want to go with, too? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, maybe we'll have to bring them with on a hunt yet, because we've got a lot of hunting season left. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we get another shot. But I think because of your commitment to it and um, how much you love it, that there's a good chance we're probably going to get out and get a few more chances in yet this year. Hopefully, yeah. a lot. Yes. A lot. What's the best lesson that you learned by hunting? Um patience and it can't sometimes instead of just sitting only walking a mile and then being done sometimes you have to wait longer and walk maybe more miles and sometimes you have to go through through rough terrain and sometimes it's easier Uh is it worth it though yes because there was a couple times there buddy where i could tell you were pretty discouraged you know like even remember before the daisy went on point on those grouse out in the field we were hugging out there in the field, just talking about how sometimes you don't get them. Yeah. And that's part of hunting. Mm-hmm. So then knowing that it can be that hard when they get away to take that and know that they got away and you didn't get them. But then also to just stick with it. Mm-hmm. And then when you get them, it's pretty rewarding, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the end of the day is, is a hug, a high five, a celebration, and cooking them up together and eating them and enjoying it pretty sweet isn't it yeah yeah that's why i love it that's why i'm gonna keep going and i hope you keep coming with me thank you for being willing to talk to us about the first pheasant hunting experience and all the other hunting you've done this year buddy i'm sure we'll do this again and we'll bring your brother and your sisters with too Uh and maybe mom yeah yeah i really want mom to come with yeah yeah Yeah. all right we'll be back next week with another episode of the flush podcast